Welcome to Fintech Impact. This podcast is an exploration of the financial technology world, interviewing different fintech entrepreneurs about what they do, their story, and what their impact is on consumers, incumbents, and the industry as a whole. Here's your host, award-winning financial planner, university lecturer, and writer, Jason Pereira. Welcome to Fintech Impact. I'm your host, Jason Pereira. Just a quick piece of housekeeping before I get started on today's guest. I will be speaking at the Wealth Professional Summit on Leadership and Technology on May 30th in Toronto for anyone who is interested in coming. Basically, my focus will be talking about tools for advisor office efficiency, basically how to leverage the various fintechs and non-fintechs out there to run your office more effectively, quickly, efficiently, far less paper, and basically free up your time. So with that, let's move on. Uh, Today, I have the pleasure of interviewing Ali Dalla. Ali Dalla is the CEO and co-founder of Fineo. Fineo originally started off as a CRM for advisors, but really their focus was always on insurance advisors. And with that, the real goal was to essentially create an integrated solution that would take the advisor and client experience all the way from data gathering all the way through issuance of policy and the life of the policy. So what they're really trying to do is solve the entire issue that the industry is seeing in terms of slow processing and almost a very antiquated system for getting things done. So basically, they're trying to tackle the solution all the way down the value chain. While this is predominantly Canadian-centric at this point, the important thing to remember is the model is essentially the same across the world. And because of that, what they learn here and apply here is going to be deployable elsewhere. And that's why they're starting to attract international venture funding. And with that, my interview with Ali Dalla. Enjoy. Hello, Ali. Hey, how's it going? Good, good. Thanks for making the time. Thank you. So Ali Dalla of Fineo. Tell us about Fineo. Yeah, for sure. So Fineo is a platform to help independent advisors do their job easier. Uh, We help giving them digital toolkits to work through all their front office needs, and we connect it to a back office system to help move from prospect to policy in one workflow. So effectively, we've reinvented some of the digital intermediary space uh, by helping connect advisors front office to the back office and help them procure policies easier. Okay. So when you talk about advisors, we're specifically talking about the insurance industry in general. You got it. So tell us about your background before we get into the company. For sure. So I'm an ex-financial advisor. I spent uh, seven and a half years as a planner working for one of the big banks. While I was there, I had a very unique pleasure of serving on their innovation team as well. So I helped create tools internally for retail banking and then had uh, an opportunity after you know just about eight years to leave and join a startup. So I was a first employee at a tech company called Banana, which... Don't laugh at the name. I'm just curious of what it could possibly do. (laughs) It it was actually a benefits platform. So the theory of the name is that the bunch of the banana, the top of it would be the technology and each banana would be a benefit line and it would roll together in a bunch of bananas. So anyways, name before I've heard of similar concepts to trying to figure out the (laughs) frame stuff. And I actually have an interview with one in a couple of weeks, but uh, nevertheless, so... Okay, so long story um, short, I uh, yeah, ended up with Banana. Uh, we got acquired by a TPA, third-party administration company called Benefits by Design. Yep, uh, uh, served there as a managing partner for a couple of years, focused on growth and technology. Started to see the freight train of some tech startups in Silicon Valley, namely Zenefits, uh, coming into the market. We talked about uh, them before, yeah. yeah. And you 
know, working, they worked extremely hard to disintermediate the broker and the customer relationship. Yep. And I thought that independent advisors needed a sword and a shield. So we launched Fineo to help that channel. Yep. And, you know, there's already two Zenefits, uh, at least two Zenefits clones in Canada with Humi and Collage. Yeah. So we've already talked to Humi in the podcast. So that's great. So you're two years in now, right? We are. Yeah. Right. So originally you guys had started off as essentially a financial planning CRM, correct? You got it. So that was the, the thought was there to create the Canadian version of, say, a red tail or a juncture or something that effect? Yeah, something that effect would be a good way yeah. to describe it. And then, but specifically you targeted insurance as a vertical and then basically um, as that evolved, you basically realized there was a space in the MGA market. So can you tell us about that transition? For sure. Yeah. So for advisors who were using us to manage their front office, it became really natural for them to come to us and ask for quotes. So we started delivering quotes via chatbot, which was a really cool way for them <laughs> to experience getting quotes on demand, quotes on the fly. I think an advisor said that he had never he had never thought about talking to a robot before in the context of getting a life insurance policy. So that was a really cool experience for us. And naturally, after doing quoting, the next question was, can you help us place an access? Uh, so naturally, the market pulled us into the direction of an MGA. Excellent. So it's, uh, I'm not surprised you never thought of talking to a robot because the words technology and insurance go together like peanut butter <laughs> and dirt. Yeah. So <laughs> Sounds like a terrible combination. It is a terrible. I mean, this is what most, you know, just that's how bad it's been to date, right? It's, yeah. it's you know, you're still, how many companies still send out CDs for quotation software? Oh, God. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And how many advisors still insist on receiving that CD for quotation software? <laughs> so that's the worst part. Second problem. Um, so speaking of that, so, um, so who's your target market as advisors right now? Like, who are you? Like, what are the age and demographics that you're bringing in? Yeah, we try really hard not to judge or ban anybody by age. <laughs> um, you know, I think that the industry has a specific disposition there, but it's more about mindset. Fair enough. Uh, so it's about trying to find those advisors who, A, are willing to take the plunge on digital and understanding that that's a journey. It's not a light switch. So it's something that advisors have to commit to and really redefining how they work it's not just layering technology, it's then layering in processes. So sometimes there's big behavioral changes that are required. So the first step in making those changes is mindset. In terms of specific target, we really have three key categories that seem to be attractive uh, for advisors to come to Finio. First and most um, most notably would be your early, early advisors, people who are between zero to two years in the industry, looking for infrastructure, looking for tools. Uh, that's a very natural place for people to come to Finio. The second is advisors who are in that growth stage three to five years in the business. Mm -hmm. They are probably making anywhere between 75 to let's say $125,000 a year in income. They need an assistant, but they can't quite afford to hire one yet. And they're looking for some more organizational structure to help them scale. So that's the second. And the last and kind of surprising category to us, Jason, has been the upper echelon market, advisors who are towards the end of their career. These advisors are looking to streamline their business. They're looking to exit it in two to three, maybe five years. And they know they can get more value if so it's they digitized. So yeah, if you show the prospective buyer a room full of filing cabinets, yes, yes. it's less appealing. And not only that, I mean, they're dealing with scale issues, right? So it doesn't surprise me. So it doesn't surprise me also that they're thinking about it right before they're thinking about selling. So that makes <laughs> a lot of sense. Works. So take me through the functionality or kind of the, the workflow or how the, the, the software works. For sure. Yeah. So we'll just go through an experience of prospect to policy. Sure. So let's say you and I have just met. The first thing that hopefully you'll have done is sent them a digital needs analysis form. So an advisor gets a branded custom version of that. They can submit it to uh, their client via email. Client can fill it out uh, on a web or on a cell phone or a smart tablet. It populates our CRM system with all of that tombstone data. Mm -hmm. And each client and customer 
or client and advisor get a copy of that F&A. So it's time and date stamped for compliance purposes. From there, an advisor can now walk into their software, uh, log in from anywhere that they need to, and they can start their journey. Whether that's I need to create a follow-up task, whether I need to book a meeting, whether I need to start meeting notes. We have a really powerful audio dictation via the app that allows them to take notes on the fly uh, without having to write anything. And a lot of our advisors love that option because it saves them a lot of time. From there, then they can walk through the opportunity building experience. So if you've ever ordered, uh, let's say a pizza from Panago or Domino's, you get an order tracker and it'll tell you, you know, my pizza's uh, in the oven, my pizza's out for delivery. So we create an experience for them in a workflow like that as well. So as you're starting your opportunity builder, you can have a draft stage, you can move it into it's being submitted. And then for us as your back office, your digital MGA will provide you with notifications on the status of your policy through notifications on the app or through an email or text, depending on how you want to be communicated with. Mm -hmm. And then we become your central database as that policy is being procured. And then once it's actually in force, we set up all the follow-up reminders and cadences for you. So for example, if it's a group insurance client, we know that best practices 120 days before renewal, you want to go get claims experience. We'll auto-create that task reminder for you as an example. Okay. Uh, if you're an individual so you're advisor, group as well. Yeah, we do group an individual. If you're an individual, uh, for example, and we set up your quarterly reviews automatically, so you know that you're supposed to touch this client uh, Mm -hmm. within 90 days. A couple of examples. So, right, you're you're aggregating all that data. Any kind of, uh, so tell me about how you're interacting with the insurance companies and their software, if at all. Yeah, so (laughs) obviously our end state goal is to be digitally bolted onto every insurance company and provide an open open Amazon style marketplace Mm -hmm. where advisors can pick and choose from a suite of products. The bottleneck, I'm sure as we can realize, is that there's a lot of legacy in the way as it relates to carriers and carrier integration. I often joke that the reason why it sometimes takes me three days to get a uh, illustration and it looks like it was a computer from the 1960s is because they're just waiting for people to die oh so they don't God. have to transition the, 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 the data. Like, I mean, like, it's pretty bleak. It, it is bleak. But like, let's be realistic. Like, please tell me why I'm getting dot matrix printouts on something that looks like it was basically done with uh, with punch cards. Like, it's it's pretty bad. Yeah. But that being said, I do, having talked to some innovation officers in those companies, I know that it's changing. So Absolutely. There's hope. So there um, is hope. It's a journey. Yeah. The first step for a lot of these carriers is to amalgamate their systems into one place. Then from there is to digitally put it in the cloud. Then they can think about opening up things like APIs. So right now for data connectivity, we have to do things in a traditional way, uh, file dropping. Yeah. Um, which is terrible. Yeah. Um, we have to use really band-aid technology like iframing even. And data scraping? Uh, they, not data scraping, yeah. but iframing. So for mm-hmm. example, if you have an e-app, a CPP e-app, you can quote unquote iframe it, which is like picture in picture on yeah. TV, if you recall. And we can fill in, auto-populate some of the data fields and stuff. Not the ideal way of transitioning yeah. so you're doing data. OCR work and you're basically you transferring it. it. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. Ugly, but it works. It, uh, it, well, this is, uh, you know, people often joke about this industry, the financial industry generally being 20 years behind the times the insurance industry is beyond that well beyond but you know it's a great opportunity though one of the things that we've done here at Fineo is we've created a series of tools for carriers so one of the things that we've seen as a biggest bottleneck is every carrier has a you know they want to build an e-app as an example but Um, none of them want to agree on a standardized e-app we'll we'll leave that one alone (laughs) but that that e-app process i mean that's not really their secret sauce there's nothing proprietary about a digital form their piece is underwriting it's brand it's price it's optimization on product so we built a drag and drop e-app builder that an administrator can use at a carrier Hmm. instead of an engineer and it actually generates an api token for them with a series of integration docs so as soon as they're cloud ready and they're ready to take our data feed, 
it automatically generates it for so them. So some of the smaller to mid-sized players must be very happy about that. I mean, some yeah. of the larger ones have done it themselves and yeah. to a varying success, but... Um, <laughs> at a heavy cost. At a, at a very heavy yes. cost and um, interesting levels of bottlenecking because of it. But, but anyway, that being said, so you guys are very much on trend and you're very much on trend for, you know, in terms of data aggregation, in terms of creating straight through workflows, uh, workflows. And on top of that, I'm, I'm curious, how much harvesting of the data are you guys doing? Like, are you looking to find opportunities like on individual sales? Absolutely. So you're basically looking for like, when's the T10 to T20 window and yeah, and, yeah alert the people. Great. So those are, those are easy places to start yeah. uh, because they're really logic driven analysis. Yeah. There's no true like machine learning or sentiment in that context. Type um, of policy, here's the rule set, you're done. Exactly. It's very, very simple. But the nice thing is, is that as you start to acquire data and if it's structured on a back office system, the way we've structured our architecture, you can start to mine the data for very interesting patterns and start to identify upsell, cross-sell opportunities. We think that machine learning is going to drive a next generation of advisor and help them scale. The reason being is they're going to see opportunities they never saw before within their existing book of business. When we talk to advisors about strategy and how to grow their portfolios, you know, the question is not about how do I get a new customer? It's how do I go back to my book of business and rehash a relationship and then ask for a referral rather mm. than going out to lead generate online through digital marketing as an example. So data analysis is a huge, huge piece of our platform. So um, any consideration or, or any plans towards integration with other third-party tools? Like Absolutely. say financial planning software, lots of different fintechs out there. What are, you, <laughs> what are your thoughts on that? Any plans or anything that works thus far? Yeah, I think it's about creating an ecosystem on a platform. And mm -hmm. that can only happen if A, you have open architecture that you can plug other party tools into. And the second is you have to have a willingness as a startup or as a company to want to integrate with others. It's always in the best service of the advisor's experience. So as long as a third-party tool is helping it drive value to our advisor, is helping make their life easier, then we are so open to that integration partnership. The challenge with, again, other players in the industry though, is that everybody's very focused on their business. And so sometimes the priority of integration isn't top of mind, let's say. Yeah, and the uh, second is a bad month or bad quarter. It's totally. like, well, we need to cut back on development right now. Exactly. Yeah. And it does, it does add another layer of complexity from a technology stack perspective, because now you've got to manage and maintain a third-party API. So there are reasons to do it. We're very open to it and would love to help advisors well, as we can. I mean, I would think, you know, given your digital needs assessment tools, the ability to plug into, say, a Navaplan or a Plan Plus in Canada or the equivalents in the U.S., like a Money Guy Pro or, or eMoney, uh, pardon me on that, if you were going to go that direction, then that would be, you could spit out the data to basically just the needs analysis would basically take a push, a button, a button push, and you'd exactly. be able to then get to the quotation stage. You got it. So that's fantastic. So one of the things I think that's kind of a little bit challenging for some, I think, would be you're you're also because you're a CRM and you're the kind of this, this full straight through flow. Is there any kind of consideration towards separating the CRM and the back the back office workflows, like and basically tying in maybe to a Salesforce or some sort of a third party vendor? Yeah, it's a good question. Uh, we thought long and hard about. Do we need to build our own CRM system mm -hmm. or do we need to use a third party and build a back office and connect the two? We decided to take the path of actually creating our own from scratch. The reason being is the workflows then can be customized and configured in a way that meet the industry's need, not a generic system that then has to be customized. Fair if enough. we look back at the origination of software as a service, SaaS 1.0 was really about creating horizontal tech. 
And SaaS 2.0 is about verticals. So I think if we desegregate the back office and front, we're going to land in the same problem. So to bring that back to regular English, what we're talking about is, no, it's okay. I get get a little bit too tech speak sometimes too. But bottom line is, you you know, sales of software, companies like Salesforce and whatnot, it was all about going wide and providing tools that anyone can use. And now what we're talking about is providing tools along very narrow fields. So specifically to insurance, for example, and specifically to investment or whatever it might be. And that's really the trend as well. And it makes sense. Because you built, you know, everybody's built this architecture, this infrastructure for the general population. That is now a very red ocean, for lack of a better term, because yeah. there's, you know, there's been winners, very big winners. The opportunity now is basically to better service individual needs. Absolutely. So, how's what's the what's the reception from your competition been? <laughs> I'm curious. <laughs> I'm only chuckling because it's tough for me to identify the competition at times because there's not another digital MGA out there. So we really play in two specific spaces. I mean, MGAs in general. <laughs> so, the, so the MGs in general, I hope that they're inspired by some of the things that we're doing. We have an internal mindset that we're happy to partner with our competition because mm-hmm. I don't think anybody has to lose for someone else to win. I think we can all win at this together. But I do think that there has to be an openness and a willingness to understand that technology is the future of distribution, is the future of compliance, is the future of communication with clients. So if we're not focusing on those things as a core competency for an MGA, then I think we're missing a lot of what it's going to take to last for the next 10, 20, 30, 40 years. So to answer the question directly, some MGAs have picked up the phone, called us and said, can we partner? Others have picked up the phone and said, I hate what you're doing. I think everything should be paper and please stop. Yeah, go back to the stone age. You you get a little bit of both. That's hilarious. That's, I actually wish I could hear a recording of that call. That being said, so is there, you know, is there any progress towards maybe partnering with MGAs? Yeah. I mean, we're uh, right now as we're building our own book of business, we've partnered with hub, um, to have access to a lot of the contracts that we don't have access to, mm-hmm. that our advisors are looking for. And they've been really supportive of, of a digital distribution model. Uh, so that's been really interesting. But I will give you one funny anecdote from a phone call I had with a I will, an unnamed MGA. We, we can share the MGA afterwards. Dun, dun, dun. So the comment was this. If you want to be Netflix, I'm happy to be Blockbuster. I thought that was kind of funny. Truth. So let me get this straight. <laughs> if, if you want to be the future of all media, I am willing to die on the vine. That's what the individual said. It was a palm face hand. It was one of those. I, I can't even understand. If you want to be the giant asteroid, I will be the dinosaur. Doesn't. Yeah. No. Okay. I don't know what how drunk he was, <laughs> um, but we'll, we'll move on from there. So talk to me about your biggest challenges technologically at this point. What do you think you're, is, is hurting you, holding you back? Connectivity with carriers. That's the number one issue. Yeah. It's the number one issue. Welcome to Canada. For sure. <laughs> uh, but it's also, you know, again, it's, it's a great opportunity for companies like us to build toolkits for carriers. One of the things as we built our eApp builder for carriers that was really interesting is you can now start to drive analytics for carriers. How's okay, your product curious. performing versus a benchmark? How are you selling into a particular category of customer? You can then leverage that data to recreate and optimize products. So I think that we have some ancillary opportunities that we wouldn't otherwise have if they already had their APIs in order. Oh, I mean, this is the great thing about big data. You collect enough of it, you start to notice patterns or other marketabilities, totally. options. So uh, in general, what's the carrier's reception been towards what you do? Carriers are really excited. They're really excited because it gives them a different way of distributing a product in a mechanism that they know is the future. Mm-hmm. So for them, it's, it's almost a breath of fresh air. Uh, the amount of times that carriers have seen or VPs have said, you know, I feel like I'm looking at the future when they see our platform has been really inspiring for us to continue our journey. They can obviously be a bottleneck, but they're being a huge help and a huge supporter in that sense. And I think that they understand advisors need tools to be successful. They know customers need more transparency and openness and technology can be a conduit. And the biggest reason why I think carriers are excited is because 
we handle some compliance on the front end of a transaction that deleverages some of the risk that they're buying. Absolutely. So I think that's a big piece of it. Yeah. I mean, it's, um, it's funny because I think you've kind of flipped it. You know, everybody, every insurance agent sits back, complains about the insurance companies, waits for them to basically come up with a solution. And finally, a solution came from the outside. And, you know, they're basically saying, great, we, you know, our core competency was insurance, not in technology. And we've proven that over and over again. Right. So, yeah, that's great. So any thoughts, you know, what were your thoughts or plans towards the world beyond insurance? Yeah, I mean, we're going to stay very hyper-focused on insurance because it's a big problem to solve. Uh, <laughs> You're right. But, uh, and, but we, and fewer players in that space, so totally. smart. But we can't ignore that you know, most advisors are duly licensed. Yeah. And there's an investment component to the portfolios that they manage. Uh, that's where we're looking for partnerships. That's where we're looking to plug into other partners, other systems. That's not a place that we want to be focusing on. I think trying to reimagine and reinvent insurance distribution is a big one. Uh, and we're going to spend you know the next decade focusing there. Interesting thing about that though is I think the challenges with insurance are, are far fewer than with investment, and I say that not from the technological standpoint, but from the mm. workflow standpoint. Ah, right? okay, that makes sense. Yeah, right. Yep. I mean, like the number of options that you can do is much more of a limited set. Yep. Right. The number of solutions for a specific problem is much more limited set. It's a matter of identification and then base it will identify, uh, quantifying identification and then distribution. Right. Mm-hmm. So I think that trying to create the straight through workflows for every possible investment option that exists. <laughs> There's a reason why the robo-advisors have very simplified investment models because yeah. the only way it's going to work is with very simplified investment models, to, yeah. I mean, at least on their straight through flow loops. So yeah, tell me what's exciting you about this company and what's, what's exciting you about the industry in general right now. Yeah, I feel very blessed to be at this time in this industry. I think that we're at one of the most interesting inflection points in the history, if not the most interesting one that the industry has gone through. Because finally, the mindset of the insurance industry is catching up with the technology. And when you finally hit that stride, companies like us can innovate and do really, really awesome things. Future is scary and change is is very scary for a lot of people, but we're also starting to see the advisor community rally around it because I think that they're starting to experience it in other parts of their life. When you think about going to order something on Amazon and it shows up via drone in 24 hours, why does it still require me to mail in a paper app? Like it just, no, it, I know. it blows my mind. Yeah, so advisors it, are excited. It's funny because, you know, it's one of these things where you always hear people complain about millennials' lack of, of um, patience for things to actually mm. happen. And you know what? I'm sorry. They're right. Why does it take as long as it does to get an insurance policy done? I mean, the yeah. fact that from, quotate, from, from initial conversation to quotation to application, and then God forbid there's an APS involved and the, and the doctor's involved. I mean, the fact <laughs> that we actually have to have a doctor fill out a form that gets faxed to them in this day and age is beyond disgusting at this point. So I have to coach clients to say, hey, you know what? This is a three-month process. And if your doctor holds up the process, I can't promise anything, right? Like it's, it's is it any one, like again, that pizza, you know, uh, <laughs> process meter is, is stuck on underwriting. It's going to be stuck on underwriting for a long time. And that's, that's a problem. And really you can get anything else in this world, like you said, delivered to your door pretty much by drone pretty soon, mm-hmm. same day. Yet you can't get a bloody insurance policy done for the equivalent of a, an entire season. Yeah, it's mind-blowing. <laughs> I mean, with that said, though, I think sometimes consumers underappreciate the value of a great financial plan and a great planning process. As a financial planner, I will tell you that it's true. <laughs> and you're like, you know, it's, it's, we're not, this isn't drive-through insurance. You're not, uh, no disrespect no. to anybody in PNC, but this isn't PNC. This no, is complex not. life and health. Here's the thing. I'm not diminishing the time that should go in on the front end. The front end is where yes. all the time actually Absolutely. should be spent, right? The back end stuff is something that, frankly, it's all process driven. It's all information driven. And frankly, it's just a matter of access and having the right processes and technology in place to drive that start to finish. Absolutely. So, I mean, yeah, I'm not a believer that, you know what, you need a quick term policy 
policy to cover a more, that's fine, but you're not covering your entire need, right? But if you actually want to have the proper types of coverage, the proper benefits, the proper benefit amounts in place in the riders, that takes time to figure out and it takes a human being to help consult on that. I mean, Absolutely. you can get probably some of the distance with technology, but there's there's a very emotional human aspect of this stuff that needs to be dealt with. I mean, my co-founder always um, tells me a story about the first time he paid out a death claim. And he always uses a very specific word. He says, I was privileged to be at that kitchen table and to wrap my arms around that woman and to tell her she was going to be okay. Right. And that's a very visceral experience. When you've gone through that as an advisor, Many times, it changes you. It, you know, it changes it, you. And that's you know, the important people, part about advice. You're right. I mean, people are at their most vulnerable and you're delivering security. Like there's, you know, you're never going to be able to give them what they lost back. But what you can give them is a sense that it's going to be okay. Everything else is going to be okay. And that is, you know, that is a very powerful moment that you can, unfortunately, some people don't see it that way and just send a check. But I think people want the face-to-face -face interaction. So, you know, we're talking about these trends in terms of working with advisors. So you guys have been very much uh, using the term bionic advisors yeah. of late. Talk about that and that kind of marketing spin. For sure. Yeah. So first of all, I'll just define uh, the bionic advisor mantra. And then we'll talk about how we're going to help create the future of bionics. So bionic advisor is simply the culmination of, of human and machine machine, both parties doing what they're great at. So the machine takes over administration, computation, and workflow, and the people do what they're great at, which is building relationship, giving great advice, and holding people through the process of making a complex decision. And when you marry those two things together, I think you find that it's the next generation of how advice will be driven. So we call that the bionic yeah. advisor. I mean, one of the reasons I started this podcast, like I said this before, is simply because I was going to conferences, talking to advisors, and they would literally be like viscerally angry at the existence of any kind of technology or robo company in their space. Yeah. Just threatened beyond belief. I tell them about like, oh, this business model is whatever, and their jaws drop and they're seeing their margins destroyed. And the reality is in talking to all of you guys, you're not scary. You know, you're you're looking to work with us in most cases. It's a smart move because, as I've always said, with every technology company, is why go after the market which you're only going to own a sliver of when you can lick the spoon of the entire market if you do it right. Absolutely. Yeah. And there's no need to fight something that can be helpful. It just needs to be created in a way that it can be helpful. I also believe that a lot of fintechs and suretechs, you know, these companies, and I have mad respect for founders because I know how bloody hard it is to run a company and start one. And um, get no paycheck for God knows how long. Exactly. Yep. And you spend all your money doing it. Uh, but <laughs> All out, the, no end, yeah. The challenge for me is a lot of these, these great, amazing engineering founders in their early 20s will come from outside of our industry and try to fix problems that they quite frankly, don't even understand. Yeah. And Fineo is a very interesting team because we're founded by advisors. Actually, when we raised our capital, our first quarter million dollars was from our beta customers. So mm. we took on the moniker for advisors by advisors because we're actually funded our first round from the from advisor advisors. community. That's fantastic. So it's something that's very near and dear to our heart. I do believe that channel access is important, like you know, carrier selling direct. It's good in a sense because customers should get covered and if they need that policy, they should get it. But advisors are going to still do a lion's share of distribution in this industry and someone needs to stand up and protect them. And that's what we're here for. Yeah. I mean, insurance is one of those products that, frankly, I do believe the line that it needs to be sold. You know, as I know someone who basically uh, he does guest lectures on my class sometimes. And uh, his big joke is, you know why you need advisors? Because no one in the world ever woke up and said, oh, what a great day. Today's my day. I'm going to go buy some insurance. <laughs> Uh, and if that person exists, I'd like to meet them. Actually, I wouldn't like to meet them. They'd be the most boring person in history. Um, but nevertheless, so talk to me about your pricing. Like how does working with you, like what does it cost an advisor to work with you all together? Yeah. So people always raise their eyebrows when I say this, but it doesn't cost anything. It's free. And I say that and I'm not joking. For the CRM software. 
For the CRM software yep. is free. We don't charge any MGA desk fees. We don't charge any of those. Like in, mm-hmm. you'll sometimes see at Freedom 55s and Captive Networks. We don't have any of those models. Uh, support, service, coaching, all entails are part of our success is your success. Your success is our success. So we think delivering all of that part and parcel for free is really important. And if we are going to fuel the future of advice through technology, then giving that away for free is also important. Um, you know, we spend a lot of money building cool software uh, and we're never going to recoup our cost on a monthly subscription license of 25 bucks a month, right? It's just not going to scale that No, way. I mean, it's it, and what you're doing is, again, on trend in many ways, right? You're basically giving away something and monetizing in another area, but you're monetizing in an area that you provide a tremendous value in, right? So if I'm going to pay X points to an MGA, the one who literally enables my entire process straight through is going to be the one that basically could command that premium. And the MGAs to date are very, very paperwork process intensive companies where I go visit these guys and my MGA is great, but I, you know, sometimes I walk around those offices and the, the piles of paper just might want to clutch my chest. It's just, yeah. it's terrible. It, it is terrible, you know, and it's a byproduct of just where the industry's come from and it's nobody's fault. You know, I think the question becomes is, are you as an MGA or as a carrier or as a re, are you going to invest that capital back into technology or are you going to invest it into more bodies to hammer on keyboards? And then the next question is, is, is technology a core competency for you or should you be partnering elsewhere? Right. At the end of the day, Fineo is a tech company that happens to be an MGA. We're not an MGA that has technology. Yeah. We're a tech company. Yeah. That's a very different lens to take. Well, I mean, it's it's the classic solution that the financial industry has taken to date. It's been basically, you know what? Uh, no, let's just work on everything that fuels sales. Right. And then we will throw a bunch of poorly paid bodies at the problem of administration. And, you know, we'll get through the paperwork. We'll just keep on throwing bodies at it, right? But if you, as the compliance burden has been increasing ever so much and is going to increase much more in the insurance space in the coming years, that's a solution that's going to break. You can't keep throwing bodies in perpetuity. I often joke that the biggest growth industry or sub-growth industry in this space is compliance in general. <laughs> and, you know, people coming in the industry, it's like, oh, you know, I'm having trouble getting a job or whatever. I'm like, have you thought about getting into compliance? Because those jobs are always available. <laughs> yeah. And it's, it's funny because the mindset of, well, I want to increase sales velocity should then entail say, well, how do I increase the ability for an advisor to sell? And how do I do that in a way that's efficient, that drives margin, and more importantly, is compliant? Yep. And technology as a tool, as a, as a platform, is built to solve that kind of problem. Yep. And even and that kind of mentality of the banks has also been pushed on the advisors where they're like, I need to maximize my time with the client. But then they throw off all their stuff to, to an assistant and cost them money. But if it actually was in an easy-to-use workflow, digitally handled, again, we, one of the things that we trends we talk about on the podcast is the rise of the solo advisor. The fact that one yeah. advisor can do what a team of five can do with some of these technology tools. 100%. Right? So it's, uh, you guys, again, very much on trend. So where are you getting your business from? So where are these advisors finding you at this point? I think a lot of advisors find us through our content. We put a ton of time and effort into podcasts, webinars, blogs, ebooks, and we're always trying to deliver value. I think it's really important as a company to have a voice and a brand uh, and always to deliver to the ecosystem of financial planners and financial advisors. And so we do a lot there. The other way that they find us typically is through referrals. I mean, a lot of our industry is based on handshakes and smiles. And once advisors work with our team, uh, they're usually great advocates and fans. And so we are very blessed to have a great referral network as well. So tell me what's in your product pipeline at this point. What, like, what are you working on right now that you're trying to add to the product? Yeah, we've actually got a major release coming out in about 30 days. We decided to take the hairy goal of rebuilding the product from the ground up because in 10 months, our product was legacy. In 10 months, our product was legacy yeah. and we had to start again. 
Um, well, that's because anyway, it makes sense. You've you've basically figured out everything you did wrong the first time, right? Yeah. Uh, the big hairy audacious goal. Yes, the B hag. The B hag. And yeah. you know, the other big thing is we got a ton of client input when we created our first version. But yeah. then once people are actually using the tool, you use analytical data, you yeah. use case studies, and you find that half the stuff that they asked for they didn't use. <laughs> <laughs> or, um, or the other side, which is, you know, they asked for something, but it's not in the right experience that they wanted yeah. to see it. So a lot of it was just iterating. No battle plan survives the first uh, encounter with the enemy. That's you for sure. It. So yeah, you that makes it. perfect sense. And you know what? And this is this is the thing, especially with something as complex as CRM. I mean, and you know, the basics are there in terms of name and whatever, and the basic Rolodex information. When you get to the other functionality and that they're looking for, then ugh, it's workflow and automation. And yeah. then the other piece is structuring the data in a way that you can then do things like machine learning on top of it, so you can drive upsell, cross-sell opportunities. That's a very difficult and challenging architecture to create on a shoestring budget for a tech team. Uh, so it wasn't really until uh, we raised our capital that we could build a yeah. you know, five, six person team. So how can it. you talk about the capital raise? How long ago sure. was that? And was yeah. 250? Yep. So we raised uh, 250 originally from our angel investors, our, our advisors. We parlayed that with another 500K from the tech community, industry influencers, people that we really respect who we thought could help in our journey. A couple Absolutely. of examples like the two founders of TechTO. That's oh, a yeah. great example, okay. Jason and Alex. And mm -hmm. then from there, we built an early product, took it to market, got some revenue, went to the venture capital community, uh, did the song and dance, the, the horse and pony <laughs> the show. The old shuffle, yeah. Yeah, and it's, you know, it's a long journey. It was a six-month process. Uh, we ended up finding the best partners that we could have hoped for in Impression Ventures. Uh, they wrote, they led our seed round. We raised $2.25 2 uh, that closed in June of 2016. Very nice. Uh, which was great. And, you know, I'll be honest with you, the venture capital community does not think very highly of advisors. <laughs> if I could give you this stat, you know, if you, if you take 100 pitches that we did to 100 different VCs, yeah. only three of them said advisors would be around in more than five years. It's interesting. First of all, technology people believe, you know, when you have a hammer, everything's a nail, right? Like, <laughs> You know, they, they believe analogy. that, you know what, there's no point in ever having a human being do anything whatsoever. Right. Uh, it'll all be self-serve. But there is, and this is this is a, a problem or a, something I think about quite frequently because is my job going to exist? And it's going to exist, but it's going to exist in a very different capacity going forward, right? Because no matter how much technology we have, there's always this complexity to navigate. And there's interoperability between these, interconnectivity between these different priorities or different needs you have. And having someone who's going to basically be there to coach you through it, I think our role thus far in the future is going to be filtering out the options of technology that technology is throwing at them. And on top of that, being more behavioral coaches altogether. Absolutely. And so it's, yeah, we'll, we'll spend far less time on the stuff that these guys want to automate. Just the problem is, is that, guess what? On a direct-to-consumer basis, it ain't going to work that well. And there's been plenty of direct-to-consumer insurance plays that have not scaled to the dreams that they had. Yeah. I mean, this, I think the stat that I've seen is as it relates to life insurance online, about 75% of the process can be done digitally, but the last 25% doesn't happen, which is the buy price. They'll yeah. do a lot of research. Oh, they get to the price and it's just But like, they won't mm, actually buy. Yeah. So that's a really interesting anecdote when you read that. And it goes back to your point earlier, which is product is sold, not bought. Exactly. You know, it's complex products sold, not bought. So yeah. the challenge was, was finding a lead investor who truly believed in the future that still had people involved in it. So yeah. that was really interesting. And then once that happened, the polarizing piece is that this investor was the second investor in Simple, who ended up leading our round. Was it Sam? No, it wasn't Sam. Okay. No, no, no. <laughs> so Christian Lassonde uh, and his team at Impression Ventures okay, yeah, were- That's right, yeah, the list impression was there. Impression, right? right? So yeah. it's really interesting because on one hand they invested in a, in a robo, on the other hand, they're investing in a bionic model. So it's, it's really natural for them to see that as a future because they said, look, the wealth category, 
simplified small portfolios you can automate some of that stuff yeah. but the insurance world different no beast. different beast and they get it they're a fintech investor so that yeah. was really interesting for us and then we we parlayed uh, the rest of the round through 500 startups again a new fund called robo venture partners yeah and then some of our uh, angel investors continued to follow on in our seed round uh, we were actually oversubscribed and had the you know the joy of being able to turn away capital which was Nice place to be. Well, you must be hitting some sort of metrics because, I mean, geez, to have money thrown at you to that degree is, uh, we is not lucky. a small thing. We were very lucky. So literally, you're going to tear the entire thing down and build it up from scratch. We already have. I mean, it's... We already have. Yeah. So we... <laughs> How long did that take? Four months. Wow. Four months. So our first product, and I guess I can openly say this to the world, was built by a single engineer in three months. Like most products. Uh, like <laughs> most products. And then as we scaled our team, we realized that that, you know, of course, you had to take a lot of shortcuts to get to that product to market and was not a product we could scale at any, yeah. at any way, shape or form. So we had to tear the whole thing down. Our VP engineering, uh, an intelligent, highly, highly talented engineer named Lee Rosen, was one of the first four engineers on Amazon AWS. Really? So if you think about... Wow. So he built the infrastructure of everything. Of everything. So if you think about Jesus. ability of knowing how to scale something, yeah. Lee really knows how so to scale. So just a backstory for most people who don't know this. Most companies now don't even host their own servers anymore. They all outsource everything to either Amazon, Google, or to a lesser extent, Microsoft as well. But the reality is, is that Amazon is the 800 pound gorilla in this space. And I think yeah. last I saw the market, like in terms of SaaS or cloud-based revenues, something they, they represent something like 60% of total. Yeah. It's insane. Insane. it's insane. It's insanity. Like literally Amazon is taxing the entire internet at this stage, <laughs> um, which is their goal. So he came on board, he took a look at it and said, there's better ways to do things. And yeah, yeah, yeah. very I common. Mean, Lee is, uh, he is an ultimate builder. And uh, you know our, our CTO and co-founder, Aaron Alsop, does an amazing job of recruiting top talent. And uh, when Lee started to get under the hood, he said, gentlemen, we're going to hit a scale problem in about three months. So we've got a decision to make. We're either going to rip this thing apart and try to fix it, or we're just going to dump it and rebuild it. And yeah. the best answer Bandages was, are not a good solution. Let's just start again. There's just countless people who've proven that over the, over the years. Yeah. yeah. So the advisors you're detracting, I'm taking it they're primarily insurance focused? They are. Yeah. yeah. Well, that makes sense. They're the ones who see the most benefit from you off the bat, right? For sure. I mean, at this stage, I don't think you would have a hard time attracting investment guys or, or, or guys who do both simply because there is no red tail or juncture in Canada. Yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah. We have a lot of wealth advisors um, that jumped on our product early days even, yeah. uh, but we didn't turn them away. We just said, you're unfortunately not going to be our focus. We're going to focus on the insurance market. And if you want to use the product for day-to-day -day stuff, go ahead, yeah. but we're not going to build you anything cool. Really. Yeah. So use it if you want, but. Well, nevertheless, it's, it's a value to both of you. Right? You got a CRM for free yeah. and you guys get a, you know, more data to basically understand the usability of, of the actual CRM. Yeah. Itself. And you, you know, you actually unlock some really interesting opportunities too, because once you start educating a wealth advisor on the ability to mine their book and you start saying, hey, Look there's at all this insurance you're right? on the table. Why don't we partner you with another great advisor in our network and see if you guys mm -hmm. can share cases. And so Very that's smart. been really interesting. We've made uh, matchmaking, I guess, in a sense, a couple of times, which Very has been necessary. really awesome. Very necessary. I mean, I often talk to other advisors and the, the common refrain is, oh, you can't be an expert at everything. But then they just kind of let the insurance thing just drift. And yeah. they're not doing their clients a service in that regard, right? No. And a lot of it comes down to who do I find I can trust? work with whatever it is and if you guys have kind of the funnel then that's that's a great opportunity yeah it's interesting i mean once we start to learn the personality type really quickly we can find someone else in our network that we think will, will match them really well when i think back to my days as a planner i could not have done my job and serve my clients as well as i did without a team around me 
And so I was really good at playing the quarterback role. Mm -hmm. And that was what I was best in the world at. And then I'd bring other specialists, quote unquote, to come and solve other problems. So an estate person or a tax person or whatever the case may be. The the, the art of management is always having people who are smarter than you doing doing the the stuff you're not as good at. For sure. So talk to me about the team size. How big are you guys these days? Uh, What are you you looking at in the next 12 months? Yeah. So we're 14 full time, uh, Mm -hmm. spread between Vancouver and Toronto. So we actually founded and launched in Vancouver. Then we moved myself, my co-founder, and a couple other staff here. Uh, but we're 11 in Toronto, three in Vancouver. We use a couple of offshore bodies to help us out, not on the development side, we do all that in-house, but on the product marketing side Fair. or outbound cold calling side. You know, it's just cool. more scalable that way. So that's definitely our, our team right now. We're looking to grow to about 20 by the end of the year. And then from there, and most of the talent's gonna be in engineering. We're obviously, as we scale advisors, we have to scale more support for advisors. Uh, we have this uh, an amazing concierge model here where we have a single point of contact for an advisor and underneath that individual is the umbrella of other team members at Fineo, who Darlene is her name. Darlene can basically be the quarterback and then move the ball to any member of the team that she has to to help serve that advisor. We're gonna obviously need to scale that model as we continue to add more uh, advisors to our platform. So what was the impetus for the move from Vancouver to Toronto? Was it market size or was it basically market size for engineering? It was a combination of things. Uh, There's an old adage, you go where your customers are. We saw a lot of traction in Toronto and I was flying out here all the time, meeting people. And then every single one of our investors happens to be here as well. There's something to be said for being in the financial hub of Canada. It's a great place to be. There's a lot of energy in the city. It's got a very deep ecosystem of technology talent. So it's another place where we can hire, recruit and train really well. so those are the three main reasons, clients or investors and talent. And what kind of challenges have you encountered as you've been scaling? Like, I mean, besides the traditional, like just trying to find bodies. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, that's really hard. And, you know, companies, for example, who are coming into Canada, like Google opened up an office and Amazon and Element.ai, uh, if you've been following Start their trajectory. sucking up all the talent. And driving the price through the roof. Yeah. Well, uh, that's the big concern. If Amazon gets a, uh, comes to Toronto for HQ2, yeah. great for the local economy, terrible for the startup community. Really hard, really hard. I mean, we can compete on salary to a point, but really we can't match wow. 250 grand for a full stack engineer. Yeah. Like, we're just not going to be able to hit that. It's interesting though. I think that you also attract a different breed of engineer. I mean, I've got, I've got friends who are engineers and you know, the second the company gets to 30 people, he just wants out. Yeah. Like, you know, yeah. he, he comes in, he builds it and you know, he's not there for the bureaucracy afterwards. For he's sure. there for the initial. So you're always going to have some of that. So in general, you know, before we wrap up here, any, any last thoughts, like what excites you? What are you thinking? What do you want to share with the, with the, with audience altogether? Yeah. I mean, what really excites me is every, time I talk to an advisor and they see our platform, they talk to us about vision and they turn around and say like, it's really cool that you're out there trying to help us. Advisors, independent channel feel like they're getting squeezed in a lot of different ways Mm -hmm. and they feel like no one's protecting them. I mean, on one hand, you have commission disclosure coming down in many different forms and I don't want to talk about G19, but again, big elephant in the room, they feel very threatened by that. Then you see carriers going direct. They feel again, threatened by that. They're seeing consumers asking for more than ever and no technology to help them. And so they feel that there's this compounding pressure. And for them to have somebody on their side of the fence fighting the war for them, I think that it's it's really awesome. And they're super passionate about working with us, which has been great. And the other thing that I you know want to share with the community is when we build technology, it's a point in time. And then every two weeks, we release a new feature or an mm-hmm. update to a previous feature. <laughs> Which is really great. And so I'm always interested in continuing to build and push the boundaries of what tech can do for our industry. Well, Ali, thank you so much. This was great. I'm sure everyone's going to enjoy this. Thanks. Thanks. Pleasure. 
And that's my interview with Ali Dalla. So Ali and his company are clearly trying to solve a problem that plagues the insurance industry and has for a very long time and trying to drag it kicking and screaming into the modern era. Hopefully they succeed because God knows I and several other people would benefit from it. And with that, just a reminder that if you do like and do enjoy these podcasts, that you please leave a nice positive review on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, or wherever it is you get your podcasts. Thank you very much. And this is Jason Pereira signing off for FinTech Impact. Until next time. This podcast was brought to you by Woodgate Financial, an award-winning financial planning firm catering to high net worth individuals and their families. To learn more, go to woodgate.com. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play, or find more episodes at fintechimpact.co.